There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, the MCU retrospective show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo. I am joined today by the boys. We've got the Sound Lord himself, Chris, here. We've got the Peach Lord himself, Peaches, here. What's going on, guys? Also, um, the other the boys are here. Uh, Homelander is standing by. Um, wait, no, he's not one of the boys. No. What are the other guys' name? Mama's Milk is here. Mother's Milk. <laughs> Mother's Milk. It's been a minute, all right? Give me a break. Uh, you got uh, you got the dude from Lord of the Rings, uh, the leader of the... Um, God, yeah. The Ro- What's his name? The Rohrahim... Ro- 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 the the, the uh, dudes on horses. Yeah, he's also um, he's also the guy from Thor. Yeah, his stuff. And he's bones. He's bones in uh, Star Trek. Carl yeah, Urban. Carl Urban. What is his name in The Boys? I don't remember. Billy Butcher. Billy Butcher. He's here too. What a See, stupid thing that I have wow. invoked. That was. That was. I'm Peaches. so sorry. Peaches, I was not prepared. When you were talking about the boys, Peaches, I thought that you meant like me and the boys, like the 1960s Spider-Man cartoon of Green Goblin and oh, Rhino. No. And, oh, the meme with the, yeah, the, the meme. four of them? Yeah, yeah. Electro and whoever else. I forget who that would be more was. fitting, but I am an agent of chaos. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, <laughs> we're, we're back on our Moon Knight shit. And we're talking all about episode three today. The Friendly Type, directed by Mohamed Diab and written by Bo DeMeo and Peter Cameron and Samir Perzada. Uh, those were a lot of people that wrote this. Um, and wow. did has Mohamed directed every episode so far, or was it just the first episode? Uh, I don't recall who directed the second episode. Uh, I think it might have been someone else. Let me look this up real quick. I'm spelling everything wrong. The second one was directed by Justin Benson. Thank okay. you. And and Aaron Moorhead, according to our notes from last week. Got it. Yes. But yes, he uh he did direct the first episode. And I think that he's directing the most of the episodes, but sure. not all of them. And he is he's the showrunner. So we start with Layla as she recounts the events of the past few days while posing for a photograph as a forger named Legaro creates a fake Egyptian passport for her. Legaro wonders if Layla's nervous about returning to Egypt for the first time in 10 years because she's burned too many bridges with her stolen relics and chewy antics. I want to interject real quick. This person is only credited as the forger in the credits of the episode, but the subtitles called her Legaro. And I looked up Legaro, and Legaro is a character in Marvel Comics named Dynaman, who does have connections to ancient Egypt. Probably just using the name here, it would be surprising if this person turned out to be some kind of superhero named Dynaman, or, or Dynawoman, or whoever in, in this universe, but just a connection there. Okay, yeah. Do we think that was supposed to be her mom? No. Because there's like a kiss at the end, and they like it seemed like they knew a lot about her father. Yeah, I don't think collectively. 
I don't okay. think that's her mom, no. I, I think maybe it's a family member or it could just be a, a personal friend. Like, I kiss doesn't necessarily mean... Does it should, mean, I be kiss, should I be kissing you guys on the cheek more often after we stop hanging out? I don't... I think culturally... Am I doing it wrong? You could. Like, I think there are some, some cultures. cultures. In some oh, cultures, yeah. when you hang out with whoever it is, you're going to kiss them on the cheek regardless. Listeners, he did not say no. Arr. But Layla tells her that people forget <laughs> that they've always been stolen and that she gets them off the black market, return them to their rightful place, albeit keeping a few to pay the bills. Lagara wonders what Layla's late archaeologist father would think of his little scarab now. Also, I like disagree with some of what Lagaro is saying here. Like, an archaeological dig site is no place for a child. Why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah even the animal kingdom. You know, it made it sound like he, he was like some kind of mercenary too, but no, he was just an archaeologist. Right. Children shouldn't be around. <laughs> Dirt and oh, artifacts. How dare they? No. <laughs> yeah, take that woman to Animal Kingdom. She can go play in the dig site when after, it's not raining. After the Marvel Studios title card, we see Arthur Harrow and his caravan of acolytes in the Egyptian desert. The scarab points straight down, indicating they have found the site of Amit's tomb. I was getting very, 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 and I shouldn't, but I'm going to say it anyway. Very big. The Mummy Returns vibes from this whole we have to follow the scarab to then get to the palace and you know we have to find the scorpion king oh man i can't wait for the rock to show up in the finale <laughs> Dwayne, it's a poorly cgi Dwayne johnson as amit comb the desert the hierarchy of power in the marvel cinematic universe <laughs> is about to change <laughs> oh he is playing an egyptian god oh my god you're right he's playing a pharaoh you guys, Black Adam! Oh my god, if this crosses over with Black Adam, if this is how we finally get JLA Avengers, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. It's Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam in that, in that tomb. If, if anyone could connect the two universes, it would be <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It would If you would have asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said either Dwayne Johnson or Will Smith, but you're right, now it's just Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> One of the fake police officers from the last episode informs Harrow that Mark Spector is in Cairo. In Cairo, Mark is literally chasing a lead across the Cairo rooftops, but Harrow's men kill the man before Mark can get to him. Mark brought his fist to a knife fight, but handles himself just fine until he catches a glimpse of his reflection in the blade of a knife he's grabbed, and Stephen Grant's voice tells him to stop. Mark blacks out and wakes up in a cap. Did I've... you notice? Oh, go oh, ahead. You go. Okay. Um... I was pausing this scene because I was doing the notes and I happened to pause on a frame of when he's blacking out. It's like a quick couple frames of the knife and Steven's eyes are also rolling back in his head here. That's cool. So yeah. So I will talk about surely what that might mean later. And I do think that it is cool that we're seeing this but from mark's perspective right like we're seeing mark lose control and then black out and be like what just happened mark asks the cab driver where he's taking him the driver surprised that suddenly the man who's been acting like a foreigner is now speaking arabic informs mark that he has been that he had asked uh, to be taken for the airport mark sees two of the three men that he had been fighting coming out of a building when Mark gets out of the cab and tells them they need to talk, they look frightened and beg, just let us go, man. They dart off and Mark pursues. 
Mark catches one of the men and begins questioning him on Harrow's whereabouts, but he once again catches Steven in the mirror who tells Mark, that's enough. At the same time, the third fighter returns and narcs, narcs, knocks Mark out. Excuse me. Mark comes to and realizes he isn't in the alley anymore and has just stabbed two of the men to death. Looking into the blade, he asks Steven, what'd you do? And Steven swears that it wasn't him. Dun, dun, dun. So then who was it? Who was this mysterious person if it wasn't Steven and it wasn't Mark? I mean, I guess I, I might be wrong from last week that we won't get Jake Lockley. It's, it kind of seems like we're going to get Jake Lockley. Yeah, and it seems like he's maybe a more brutal version of, of both of them. Which is what I was talking about when the in the the book that I'm reading the yeah uh, and this one it's it's funny I need to continue to read this more because it seems like they're pulling some stuff from this but this is a lot more Egyptian mythology focused this is, has to deal with someone else who was an avatar it has to deal with Jake Lockley being a lot more brutal so maybe they're they're pulling a lot from one of these runs yeah what is the name of that run because I might switch over to that one that one seems like it is more in line with what we're watching. This is Moon Knight Legacy Crazy Runs in the Family. I think Crazy Runs in the Family is the name of the of this specific volume, but it's okay. Moon Knight Legacy. I'm going to see if that's on Marvel Unlimited. I'm sure it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cuz that one seems I, I don't know. The like I said in previous episodes, there's not a lot of Jake Lockley that I've seen so far. I've just, you know, read the name a few times, so It'll be interesting if they bring him in. I mean, if is probably not even the right thing to say, because it seems like there is at least a third someone, you know, in his in his bank. Uh, But, you know, I don't know who else they would use if they didn't use Jake Lockley. They would just end up making up an entirely brand new name, if not. Or they could go in some sort of angle of like Conchu taking over. I guess they could do that, too. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it is Jake, but if they were going to do something else, I could also see that. Yeah, I can't see them. Go- I know you're just saying that as like another possibility. I don't. Yeah. I couldn't see Conchu. Like he's a dick, but he it's not like a. He he is. You know how we've talked about Thanos? How Thanos has the power to basically take care of anything that he wants to, but he prefers to watch his minions do all the work. Yeah, that's basically like Conchu too. He's like not really going to get his hands dirty. He's just going to make other people get their hands dirty. I also think that it might be Conchu doesn't have the ability to actually, you know, he can change the sky and stuff because he's the moon god, but he might not actually be able to exert physical influence over people. Right. Well, and you can see that later on when they are at the trial where all of the other avatars have like a symbiotic relationship with their host and their their god, whereas it's clear that Mark is straining when Conchu is speaking through him. He can make the wind blow real hard, though. Amen. Seeing the two, seeing the third one of Harrow's men trying to crawl away, Mark hears Conchu's voice take him to the ledge. Mark protests, saying he's just a kid, but Conchu replies, he'll talk. Grabbing the young man by the scarf, Mark threatens him at the edge of the cliff they are on and demands to know where Harrow is. Saying, praise Amit, the young man takes his knife and cuts his scarf, falling to his death. Hmm, says Conchu. I thought he'd talk. I like how unbothered he was by that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he'd talk. 
Steven and Mark each accuse the other of going on a killing spree, but Mark quickly turns his concerns back to locating Harrow. He asks Khonshu why the other gods would just sit back and let Amit be released. Khonshu says that to summon the gods uh, is to risk their wrath, which could lead to the bird man being encased in stone. Mark muses that this doesn't sound too bad to him, but Khonshu retorts that Mark wouldn't get anywhere without his healing armor. Mark asks Khonshu if he has any good ideas. Khonshu sighs, I have a bad one, and disappears. And suddenly the moon blocks out the sun, sending the gods a signal they cannot ignore. In the desert, Hera whispers, you're getting desperate, old bird, and informs his followers to keep digging because he's about to be called upon. Khonshu tells Mark that the gods will gather their avatars scattered across the globe for a meeting of the Ennead. A portal appears in the wall next to Mark. Khonshu warns Mark that their case against Harrow must be indisputable, because the last time Khonshu spoke to the gods, they banished him. Stepping through, Mark asks Khonshu if he's coming with him. Khonshu walks away but responds, I'll be there. As Mark walks down the hallway, Stephen, reflected in the walls, excitedly remarks that they're inside the Great Pyramid of Giza. In the ornately decorated chamber, several other avatars from all over the world begin arriving. One woman warmly greets Mark, recognizing him as Khonshu's avatar, and introduces herself as Yatsil, avatar of Hathor, goddess of music and love. Mark apologizes for not recognizing the name, saying that Khonshu doesn't like to talk about the other gods. Yatsil wonders if this includes gods who are old friends, and relays that Hathor says it wasn't long ago that Khonshu enjoyed her melodies. Mark says that the only music he knows Khonshu to enjoy is the sound of pain. What a dramatic statement to make. <laughs> the sound of pain. Nice brother. to meet you. He enjoys the sound of pain. His favorite song. Before the meeting can begin, Yatsia warns Mark not to fight it, and says that it will be a strange cessation at first. Mark is unsure what she means, but we see her eyes glow as Hathor takes possession of his body. Announced as an in attendance are Horus, Isis, Tefnut, Osiris, and Hathor. Notably, there are nine seats with nine associated statues of deities, but only these five avatars. Mark's eyes glow, signifying that Khonshu is now also inhabiting his body. Now, Chris, you wanted to talk a little bit about the gods here and sort of who is present and who is not. Yeah, so uh, the five gods, so there are nine seats for the Ennead, the Ennead meaning nine. Usually it is a group of nine gods. And the the five that we have here are pretty big players. So we've already met Hathor, who is the goddess of music and love. And then we have Osiris, who is the god of fertility, agriculture, the afterlife that Egyptian deities, we kind of talked about it. They have a lot of things that they're in charge of. And sometimes there are multiple gods for the same thing, like multiple sun gods, whatever. But Fertility, agriculture, the afterlife, the dead. And uh, he's typically depicted as a green-skinned deity with a pharaoh's beard, partially mummy-wrapped at the legs, and he wears the crown. Uh, also, there is Horus, who has the uh, the falcon head. Uh, he was a war god. Uh, so that's a he, a, a falcon wearing the, uh, again, that, uh, that crown, that Egyptian crown that looks like a bowling pin. Um, I forget what it's called. It has a... The Peshent, a red and white crown. Uh, Tefnut is also there. Tefnut is... Uh, she has a, a cat head, I believe, or a lion, excuse me. Uh, sometimes the head of a lioness, and there's a sun disc resting on her head. She is the deity of moisture, moist air, dew, and rain. 
we learned before the show where she came from, and it's very she made Mountain Dew. Yeah, that's what I just learned. Oh, and Isis, or or they pronounced it Isis, and I don't know if that's how it's actually Coptic. Apparently, it was Isi. Uh, also, in classical Greek, Wosa or Wusa, but we all usually just say Isis. But she is the husband of Osiris uh, and mother of Horus. So that's why those three are grouped together. Now, I... Does she not have any... Is she not the goddess of anything? She's just wife? Um, <laughs> What's well, no, up she, with that? I, mean, I don't know if she has a specific thing that she is the goddess of, but she's basically like the queen of of the gods, I want to say, or so on. She was believed like to help Osiris. the dead enter, enter the afterlife. <laughs> she was oh, she was considered the divine mother of the pharaoh. So the pharaoh becomes like the son of of Isis, and her maternal aid was often invoked in healing spells. For okay, ordinary I feel people. better now. I yeah. thought they were. I thought they were giving her the shaft, like Osiris. You're the god of these twenty five things, and Isis, you are his wife. Yeah, no, she actually got quite a bit to do. She was a major player in the Osiris myth, which is too detailed for us to get into right now. Um, if Osiris ends up becoming a major character, maybe we'll get into that in a future episode. But um, during the New Kingdom of Egypt, uh, she took on traits that had originally belonged to Hathor. So that's an interesting thing. You know, the the perception of these gods changed over the many, many, many generations of ancient Egypt. I think we sometimes forget how long lived ancient Egyptian civilization was and just how far it went. It's, it's really interesting stuff. So I could not figure out who the other missing gods are from this Ennead. I looked at their, uh, their statues. I paused. I could not identify any of them. The closest I got, there's an empty seat next to Tefnut who could be Shu. Shu is the uh, a, a primordial Egyptian god, the spouse and brother to Tefnut, because that's how god pantheons always go. Uh, one of the nine deities of the Ennead of the Heliopolis cosmogony. God of peace, lions, air, and wind. I'm not positive that's who that was, though. So I could not figure out who any of these people were. Uh, and that's kind of frustrating. But I, I did see one that could possibly have been Khonshu, but I'm not positive, not nearly positive enough to say, yes, that's definitely what that is. Not even positive enough for me to say that I think that's what it is. Just that Maybe. It's a little blurry. I couldn't make out the face. It might have been a falcon's head. I don't know. It didn't look like the Kanju that we have seen, though. So I don't know if Kanju was part of the Ennead or if there were the Ennead and then several other gods who still existed, but the Ennead were the important ones. All right, moving on from that, when you first walk into the chamber, on the left and right, there are a lot of little statues. And I think that these are other gods who have been punished the way that Kanju has been at the end of this episode where they've been bound in stone in those little one-foot-tall statues. And you actually see some of them in the credits. Now give me just one second, because i got to grab something. Because I, uh, I took a picture of that, and I tried to identify as many of the gods 
as I could. So this is the executive producer credit for Brad Winderbaum. Shout out to Brad. And what I was able to figure out, it looks like there are some doubles in here. There's a frog-headed goddess who I think might be Heket, the goddess of fertility, one of the goddesses of fertility. There is a uh, cobra-headed person who I think is Wajit, who is a, an Egyptian goddess of lower Egypt. If you've ever seen the death mask of King Tut, there's a little snake coming out of the forehead. That is Wajit. Uh, in the middle is Anubis. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll drop this in the Discord just so y'all can see it. Uh, then behind Anubis, um, on the left is Neith, I think. I put a question mark because I'm not sure. Who might be the first creator of everything. Uh, and the um, uh, goddess of the cosmos. Then there's Sekhmet, who has a lion's face. A warrior goddess slash goddess of healing. There's a ram-headed one who I think might be Kanum, who is another fertility god. And then there's one that has a scarab beetle for a head. And that would end up being Kepri, the god of the morning sun and creation. So I don't know if any of that is going to be relevant or not, but these could be other gods because they mention how they have banished many, many gods before and they're... Uh, they're you know, their numbers are dwindling. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we continue with the summary of the episode. And the one last thing I want to talk about is we don't really know what the nature of these gods are. You know, the Asgardians, it's been interesting how they were originally just sort of portrayed as these were the aliens that the Norwegian people, the Norse people, ended up worshipping because they were these mighty beings. And as we've gone on, they have gotten more and more godlike, I think. More and more, they've leaned into the mythological nature of them more as we've moved forward. And if the rumors are true that we might even be getting some of the Greek pantheon in the next Thor movie, you know, it just seems like we're really just kind of starting to go into, yes, there were all these ancient gods were real. Uh, so it's kind of a shift in how the MCU has been portraying these gods from the whole ancient aliens thing to, and they were just these powerful beings. So uh, Khonshu mentions the Overvoid. And in the comics, it's also called the Other Void, and it is also called uh, the Great Heliopolis. And Heliopolis is actually the Greek name for the Egyptian pantheon, uh, you know, city of the sun. So it seems like maybe these are these gods are beings from another dimension who you know took a special interest in Earth for some reason. I'm really interested to see going forward what more we learn of these gods. Will these gods end up being an important part of the cosmology of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward, especially if we're going to get some of the Greek gods later? Will we end up getting all these gods in stories together? That could be fun. We know that the villain of the next Thor is Gore the God Butcher, who wants to kill all the gods, all of them from everywhere, so... You know, I'm just wondering, are any of these characters maybe going to show up in Thor? You know, if we're looking ahead, thinking of possible connections, no, it could be interesting. I don't know if they specifically interact with Thor, but I know that like Ares and Hercules are both characters that have shown up, you know, multiple times. Oh, yeah. Hercules is, is a major Avenger at this point, has yeah. been an Avenger multiple times. And Ares, um, I think, was a um, 
a Thunderbolt or a Dark Avenger or both. I don't oh, remember. Interesting. I know yeah. that some of these Egyptian gods, their debuts in the comics were in Thor comics. Uh, I want to say Osiris and Horus, maybe I, I forget, or it might have been Osiris and, and Isis, but a couple of them they debuted in a Thor comic where they ended up fighting Thor because they they ended up working together because they wanted Odin's help to defeat Set, who was another Egyptian deity, who was often kind of portrayed as like a darker god. It's also interesting when you factor in the Eternals, because the whole thing about the Eternals was these gods weren't actually real. They just saw the Eternals and their powers and what they could do, and they created all of these myths that were actually about the Eternals. So it's interesting that like they were in ancient Egypt, and they created these myths around the Eternals, but also the gods were there too. Yeah, it's uh, they've explained this in the comics sometimes, and it's very confusing because I think they had already established that a lot of these gods existed, and then Jack Kirby came in and was like, I'm doing the Eternals now because I didn't get to finish my new gods over at DC. And uh, they ended up having to reconcile later, well, why is there Athena when we've already seen Athena and all this other stuff? And... I, just, I think they settled. They settled on that, like one of them borrowed the other person's name out of respect or something. I just put the dots together on the new gods and the Eternals, and my head oh, yeah, about to yeah. explode. Did Eternals just get worse <laughs> with that connection that you just made? I, did Eternals I, just get worse I, somehow? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think that's possible. Uh, uh, it is, but. It it's a low bar already. Watch Stay out tamed. for our Eternals episode. Yeah, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there's a chance, Chris, it. that uh, back to our speculation from the first podcast of Moon Knight. I mean, I guess of your of your nine seats, uh, maybe Amit and Khonshu could be two of them. I mean, you said it was hard to make out the the statues in front of the seats. Um, I don't know if those two would be considered any ad worthy, but I'm fairly certain that Amit wouldn't, was not one of them. Uh, right. Yeah. There, yeah. There I was, don't think so either. Yeah. But. Cause none of them really, cause Amit very specifically looks like a crocodile hippo monster. And yeah. these all had sort of human forms. And I don't think Amit has ever traditionally had a human form. Now they of course could change that, but I don't think they're going to mess with things that much. I, I could very well be wrong though. Um, I was just thinking about the way that you've said that the Ennead uh, roster kind of just changes all the time. Uh, so yeah. maybe for the purpose of the show, they would put a crocodile hippo monster. Yeah, yeah. On the council, you know. <laughs> you know what also? Wait, wait. I forgot. I was going to say I was going to interrupt Chris to say this. You talking about these gods being encased in stone reminds me of the Futurama episode where Farnsworth has the mummy that looks like beef jerky. And then he eats the mummy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, oh. And actually, I forgot to mention that in the very first episode, Stephen is complaining at the museum saying, you know, you've only got seven gods up there. There should be nine in the Ennead. And now we go into a place where there should be nine and there are only five. So I don't know if that's significant or not, but just a, a, a parallel or not really parallel connection from the first episode to this one. Interesting. 
Osiris, through his avatar Salim, tells Khonshu that he was banished once for nearly exposing them, and that they despise his garnishness, and gravely warns that if he manipulates the sky again, he will be encased in stone. I find it also interesting that it seems like Osiris is the one that is leading this this council, when I don't think that that is necessarily what the hierarchy would be. If I am not mistaken, out of the, the gods that are gathered there, Horus would traditionally be the one that is in charge. But maybe because it is a uh, like a, a meeting type of thing. I, uh, from what I understand, between the old kingdom and the new kingdom, there is a like uh, almost like a changing of the guard. Like some of the other older gods, like Ra, and and you know some of the older ones tend to go away, and some of the new gods kind of come and and kind of take their place as the, the heads of the table type of thing. And from what I understand, Horus is the one that takes over Ra's place. Are you saying they have term limits? Oh, Good God bless. That's so progressive. That's really cool that they did that for their gods, but not their rulers. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's really confusing because uh, Horus, well, Horus is the son of Osiris. So I guess Osiris might outrank him in that. Well, and I think Osiris is one of the ones that gets replaced. So that's another part that like I find interesting that Horus is there. There are also two Horuses. There's Horus the Old and Horus the Young. So you're getting oh, yeah. into like a whole because mm-hmm. I think there is a Horus that is Osiris's brother and then a Horus that is Osiris's son. Oh, okay. And also Osiris um, in the old kingdom, the Pharaoh was considered a son of Ra, who after his death ascended to join Ra in the sky. But as the Osiris cult spread, that shifted so that Osiris became more associated with kingship. Uh, the short version of the Osiris myth, by the way, is that Set cut him up into pieces. Um, but then, uh, after killing him, uh, uh this is into pieces. my last resort. Yeah. And then Isis found all the pieces, wrapped them up and he was resurrected. So a lot of stuff going on there. Conchu through Mark shouts that he was banished for not abandoning humanity. Unlike the rest of the gods, the avatar of Horus retorts that they didn't abandon humanity. They just trust their avatars to carry out their will. Conchu counters that avatars are not enough, and they need the might of gods. He tells the other gods to return from the opulence of the Overvoid before they lose this realm. Osiris reminds Conchu that the avatars are meant only to observe, as they decided long ago not to meddle in the affairs of man. Conchu calls for judgment on author Harrow on the charge of conspiracy to release Amit. Harrow is summoned, and when Conchu accuses him of seeking Amit's tomb, Harrow plays the reverse card and says that Conchu has been seeking the tomb himself, since first making Harrow his avatar. Harrow says that Kanchu is unhinged and his servant unwell, using Mark's mental illness as an indicator that Kanchu is untrustworthy. Mark and Kanchu attack Harrow, but they are stopped by Osiris. Harrow says that Kanchu is taking advantage of Mark, and the gods decide they wish to hear from Mark himself. Mark admits that he is unwell and needs help, but he begins to say that it doesn't change the fact that Harrow is guilty before he is overcome by emotion. Yatsil tells Mark that this chamber is a safe space for Mark to say if he feels exploited by Kanchu, but Mark insists that his feelings don't matter as Harrow is the one on trial and is dangerous. Mark begs the gods to listen, but Osiris interrupts, declaring that Harrow has committed no offense and that the matter is concluded. The gods exit their avatars, who all leave the chamber except for Yatsil, who tells Mark that there is another way. A lot happened here. Um, Peach, I'm going to get to you in just a moment, but I do want to talk a little bit about Mark and his admission of 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 needing help and sort of how Mark has been portrayed so far and how this is maybe a little bit of a departure from that. 
I think originally in the first two episodes, Mark is portrayed as the level-headed, you know, the one that has it all under control. And I think in this episode, we see that Mark actually doesn't have anything under control. And he's actually uh, just a, a different level out of out of control of, that Steven is. He's just out of control in a different way. And he needs just as much as help as Steven does. So it's interesting that they kind of kind of flipped this for that. Now, Peach, you really didn't like the trial scene. Uh, I know you weren't a fan. You, you weren't really a fan of this episode in general. So I'm interested to, interested to see why this uh, turned you so sour. Yeah, I you just you just said that a lot happened in the trial, and I like fully disagree. I think almost nothing happened. In fact, everything that Chris just went over with the actual lore of these gods and all the gods that might have been there and all the ones that were in stone, that was all far more interesting to me than what happened in this trial. And I actually, I would love to get Bailey in here and just see what Bailey, because I remember when we were watching Daredevil and there was that episode, was it also episode three of Daredevil that it was mostly just a trial? And then Bailey was like, fuck this shit, I'm out. And she stopped watching Daredevil because the trial scene was so boring. I wonder how she feels about this one. Here's here's my issue with this. It sets it up to be such an interesting scene, right? We're inside of the Pyramid of Giza. That's sick. We've got a council of gods that are being, that are like inhabiting the, the bodies of their avatars. Also sick. And then nothing happens at all. The Conchu leads by telling Mark, we're going to have a trial with the gods and our evidence must be indisputable. And then he goes into the chamber and he just whines about being banished for three lines of dialogue. He doesn't actually present any evidence after he tells Mark that evidence has to be indisputable. There's no evidence. When we shift over to them talking to Mark, I think that part is fine. But Conchu going in there and just like, Wah, Amit, wah, Harrow. Like, he doesn't actually present anything. There's no sound trial. You want to maybe bring up the, like, two dogs or two jackals that this motherfucker summoned to chase after this guy? Or maybe bring up the scale tattoo that he has on his arm, which he's conveniently covering up in the trial? Or the fact that he's grabbed onto at least two humans' hands while Mark was watching and put them to death by touching them. You don't want to bring any of that up. I think that's important evidence, but instead he just says nothing. There's nothing like on the one hand, Arthur Harrow has played the reverse card. You're right. He brought his Uno reverse card and he starts accusing, but are they having a trial for Mark? Like he has a point. Are they having a trial for Mark? No, this is for Harrow. And, you know, even when we switch over to Mark and he's like, if you would just let me tell you why Arthur is a bad guy, I would. But he hasn't even started. He hasn't even tried to present any evidence. So there's like this big buildup into this really cool scene that could happen. And then nothing really happens. They just take his side without hearing any evidence. He has plenty of evidence. I watched him turn a staff purple and emit a light from the ground that a dog came out of. Like, what? <laughs> Can you not say any of that? You had plenty of time to say those things, but instead you're like, you banished me. Why did you banish me? Come back from the overvoid. Like, I I just don't get it. It was, it, it it's not interesting. It could have been interesting and it wasn't. 
I wonder, I have a couple thoughts about this. First of all, Khonshu has seemed very calm throughout the first couple episodes in all of his dealings with Mark. And then he gets in front of the gods and he just starts yelling. And I wonder how much of that was they weren't sure what Kanju was going to be like, or they thought, oh, this will be funny if we have Oscar Isaac yelling. And how much of it is Kanju is calm and collected until he gets back in front of these gods who have banished him. And he surely wants to rejoin them in some way. And he just becomes like the bratty kid, younger brother who's like, no, no, he did it. Yeah, I'm telling. And that could be interesting, but I, I, I enjoyed the scene, but I do understand how it almost feels like we need, we're going to need some stuff in later episodes to maybe justify why Khonshu was the way he was during this scene. Yeah. And also maybe, I don't know if they're trying to imply that maybe Osiris is in on Amit's plan. Maybe he wants Amit's tomb revealed for his own purposes. By the by, the ending, you mean? Like the very last scene? That and also him just cutting the trial short before they could actually get to any evidence. Because he's Osiris and he can do that. So it makes me wonder, is there some sort of ulterior motive for Osiris and maybe some of the other gods yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's going to go nowhere because surely we've thought things like this before about, you know, hidden, hidden villains, you know, Osiris is Mephisto. I don't know. I, but uh, <laughs> I could see that just because Yatsiel also like pulled Mark to the side and was like, hey, I'm like kind of on your side with this. Here's some more information. But yeah, I still think that he, like the whole idea and I understand having stage fright or maybe some public speaking issues or even some like bad blood you got to air your grievances in front of the people that tried to banish you whatever but at the same time it's super weird for like you said him to have been overall pretty calm so far in what we've seen of Kanchu and then come in and just lead with no evidence i'm accusing this guy but hold on let me whine first yeah and you know osiris maybe kind of set him off by starting off the trial with Kanchu, you suck and we know you know we all hate you get on with it <laughs> no offense, but we no don't offense, want you but to be you're here. the worst. <laughs> um, don't mess up again, but please actually mess up again. I want nothing more than to turn you into a tiny statue. I think if if we do learn later that Osiris is partnering up with uh, Arthur Harrow, maybe it would make this scene slightly better. But I just it didn't do anything for me. And I think it for me, it put a stain on the episode as a whole. I just like, oh, no, spoiler alert. This is my least my lowest rated episode of the three. I, I feel like it was a completely different vibe from the other two. I was having a lot of fun in the other two. And in this one, I was like, why did we do this thing? And mostly because of the trial. You know, I, I hadn't thought of this, but you are right that this trial could have been solved very easily if they said, Arthur Harrow, roll up your sleeve. Right, like he's covering them up. Like the way he's standing, yeah. he's got his like one hand over his other, his sleeves are rolled down. He conveniently did not bring the glowing purple cane to the yeah, trial. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all he had to say. Look at his tattoo, it moves. I watched it move. He grabbed my hand in the museum and I watched his tattoo move. Yeah, so I like this scene unlike you, but I do feel like I am hoping for a bit more resolution on why 
certain characters behaved the way they did in this scene uh, somewhere down the line. Oh, let me add to this real quick, too, that I think we're half we're halfway through this season as well. So I expect when I'm halfway through a series to not have some like confusing uh, what appears to be kind of useless plot line that takes up one sixth of the episode, you know what? I don't I don't want to have in the middle in the the middle of the series. I don't want to watch 10 minutes of something that doesn't mean anything overall. That's what this felt like to me. Well, well I think there are, I there are a lot of wrong things with your statement just now. And now it's my it's Eduardo's turn to talk. I I, <laughs> I do not think it is okay it is correct to say something didn't matter one when we haven't seen the rest of the series. And and two, I think just because a resolution didn't happen at the end of the trial, the trial didn't serve its purpose. It instructed a lot. It gave us a lot of information. It gave us a lot of information about that there are other avatars. It gave us a lot of information about how Khonshu interacts with all of the other gods. It gave us a lot of information about how he views himself versus how he views the gods. He views himself as a savior. There is a lot of information and a lot of purpose to the scene that isn't just the face value we proved Arthur did this thing. So I think it is a disservice to say that the scene does nothing when it actually instructs a lot and builds a lot of the world that, that we have been instructed to so far. I disagree though, because he's already shown that he has all of those traits. I think there are certain things that, you know, are better to see than to say, especially in this form of media, but he's already proven that he is those things that he is not liked by the gods and that he is he views himself as the savior and he's very self-righteous like we already know those things i don't we think, don't need I don't him think to we prove knew any it. of that i think yeah, we, we knew did. that he maybe didn't like the gods but we didn't know about his self-righteousness we didn't know necessarily how he interacts with the gods we didn't know that there were other avatars there's like a host of information that we didn't know there yeah, we learned the context of why he doesn't like the gods. They have a very distinct philosophical break on how active should they be. So, okay. that, I mean, that's a big piece of information that we got right there. I, so, I guess it's. I guess then it's not fair for me to say useless. You're right, but it doesn't. I don't think it's unfair to me say for me to say uninteresting. I mean, if it's uninteresting to you, that's not. Un- yeah, I mean, I mean like, that's a, yeah. that's a matter of opinion there. So, yeah. I mean, it's an incorrect opinion, but it's an opinion. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love that damn helicarrier. <laughs> That's for Robbie. I Robbie just inhabited my, his spirit, inhabited my body. My <laughs> eyes glue white and I, you know, channeled him for a second. Uh, I think it's fine for you to think it's uninteresting. I really liked it. But I mean, once again, it's fine. And if you would like to know, Bailey really liked the first two episodes and didn't care very much for this episode. So had a feeling. Yatsiel explains to Mark that Amit's tomb is located uh, in a Amit's tomb's location, excuse me, is a secret even to the gods since they did not know who could be trusted. A Medjai named Senfu was entrusted with the location in case the gods ever decided to show mercy. Not even the Medjai can save you now. Oh God. Oh, my cup of coffee. There is no going back. 
Yatsil tells Mark that Senfu's sarcophagus holds the secret, but it was stolen and sold on the black market. In Cairo, Mark tries and fails to gather information about the whereabouts of Senfu's sarcophagus. Layla appears and tells him that as a non-Egyptian, he's drawing too much attention to himself. Mark says that she shouldn't be in here. Layla assumes he means because she pisses off a few people in Cairo, but we see that Mark is more concerned about Khonshu. Layla offers to help Mark find the sarcophagus. On a boat heading down the Nile, Layla and Mark try to put aside the conflict between them to focus on stopping Harrow. Layla tells Mark that he should have told her about his mental health struggles, but he says he's always had trouble talking about things. I want to say also, Peach, you got something in this episode that you had asked about in the first episode. And that is, we do know now that Mark Spector is an asshole. Because <laughs> he is very rude to Layla in this episode. He is yep. super mean to her. So yes, he is an asshole. <laughs> he very much personified, and I'll talk about this a little more later, but he very much personified the way that I have been reading about him in the comics. In this episode, he was very cold. He didn't know how to talk to somebody that he cares about. He's very bad at that in the comics too. Um, yeah, that was that was a spot on conversation. I could see him having that in the in the comics. They arrive at Apathy being held by Anton Magor. Mogar, excuse me, not Magor. I'm sorry, maybe I, I might have autocorrected there. I meant to say a party. Oh, I'm sorry if I typed apathy. It is apathy, and I read it just <laughs> like a like a teleprompter. <laughs> Go screw yourself, San Diego. <laughs> they, they arrive at apathy, damn. <laughs> They arrive at Apathy is my favorite Panic at the Disco song. Uh, <laughs> uh, a collector of antiquities that Layla knows from her time in Madripoor. Mark and Layla spot what they believe are some of Harrow's followers tailing them. Mark is posing as Layla's new husband, Rufino Estrada. Mogar's associate Beck takes them to see Margot. Uh, Mogar, excuse me, I keep saying Margot. Rufino, Rufino, Rufino. Who was in the middle of Private El Mermaha, excuse me, Egyptian fencing lessons. Mogar and Layla discuss his collection, which he calls an effort to preserve history, and asks why they are interested in Senfu in particular. As Layla starts to answer, Mogar interrupts and says he wants to hear from Rufino. Mark hems and haws before saying he just wants to take a look. As Layla and Mark approach the sarcophagus, she she asks him to let Stephen out. Mark refuses, but Stephen appears to him in the reflection of the windows and points out that the information they're looking for is coded. Mark asks Layla to leave him alone with Stephen and to keep the others occupied. Stephen wants the body back, but he reluctantly agrees to walk. I don't know what I was trying to type there, but walk doesn't make sense. Maybe Ste- help? It walks, but he reluctantly agrees to walk Stephen through decoding, the, to walk Mark through decoding the location of the tomb. That's what you meant. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't take a second pass on these notes. <laughs> <laughs> Mark is interrupted by a gun to the head. I liked a lot of this episode, and this was a another point that I really enjoyed. I think I have not been shy about talking about how much I like Oscar Isaac as an actor and how I like his performance here. And I think this, it just, there are points in here where I forget that Os- Oscar Isaac is playing both of these characters. Like they, he's doing such a good job with both of them that it they they feel so different from each other that I honestly think it's really cr- like amazing that he's um that he that he's doing he's doing such an amazing job with these two characters and I just think 
you know, I'm going to end up probably putting Oscar Isaac as my MVP for this. And I think it'd be difficult to, for me to choose anyone else at this point. I feel like you're going to only hopefully be more impressed when, however, he chooses to act Jake Lockley happens. Yep. But also even in this episode, even though it's only for a, a, you know, I, I just talked about why I didn't like the scene, but in that scene, he also is channeling Kanchu, which is another thing that he has added to his long list of, uh, personas as an actor in this show. So that was pretty cool. Even though he's whiny. Yeah, I think he's acting his butt off here and I really, I think it's cool. Mark instinctively grabs the gun and turns it on Beck, but Layla, who is also being held at gunpoint, tells Mark to stop. Mogar tells Layla he was ready to make peace with her. She says they are trying to save many lives, and Mark tells him to look inside the sarcophagus. But as he goes to take a look, he notices that Harrow has arrived. Harold tells Mogar that while Layla and Mark can offer a clue, he can offer much more and shows Mogar the scarab. Harold says that Mark, Layla, and Mogar have uh, more in common than they know. Layla wants to keep the wounds of her father's death from reopening, but her husband doesn't tell her the truth. Mark doesn't tell her the truth because he fears she'll see him the way he sees himself. There's a lot, I think, of foreshadowing here. I think there's a lot of, hey, this is something that we're going to talk about in the coming episodes. We are going to find out what happened to Layla's dad, and we're going to find out what Mark had to do with it. And there is a chance that Mark... I, there, there are multiple chances. So one uh, theory that I had was that maybe her father um, was a, a former avatar of Khonshu or an, a former avatar of someone else. And so it was Khonshu's, um, it was Khonshu that killed him. But then I began to think to myself, well, let's think about Moon Knight and in the comics, how Mark Spector becomes Moon Knight. And he is a mercenary who goes and he basically murders a bunch of archeologists at a dig site, gets murdered himself and then becomes resurrected because of Khonshu. What if that is what happens here? What if it is Mark who goes to this archaeological dig site where Layla's dad is? He is the one that kills Layla's dad, and he becomes resurrected as Khonshu. That's what I'm leaning towards. Same. I, I thought that too, and I think that they, uh, not only is that basically directly from the comics, but I think they referenced that in the second episode when he's in the um, he's in the car of the fake cops and they're like, oh, look at what you've done. Look at these people you've killed. Layla wasn't in the car to see the photo of the person. It very well could have been her dad that the fake cop was showing him a picture of. Yikes. I mean, and it's not Layla's not from the comics at all. She is completely original for the show, but his love interest, his main love interest in the comics is, uh, I think that was also her dad. Mm, if I remember correctly, or it was somebody related to her, um, somehow, but I'm dad might be correct. I'll look it up. Harrow tells Anton that he, uh, offers proof that the ore around his relics is real. Contry tells Mark to summon the suit and give them what they deserve, while Harrow uses his Amit powers to destroy the sarcophagus. I'm at this point really unsure of what his Amit powers entail, because it seems like he can do a lot of different stuff with his Amit powers, but good for him, I guess. As Harrow leaves, we see that Mark has indeed summoned the suit. 
Moon Knight begins fighting off Mogar's men to buy Layla some time. As Moon Knight fights in the jousting ring, Layla returns to the sar- sarcophagus to find the clues, but Beck follows her. You know, people have been saying a lot of, he reminds them of Batman, and I think the cape coming out was maybe Batman, but you know who also it reminds me of? Spawn. I got a lot of Spawn vibes oh, yeah. from, from this, from when he like puts the cape around her and he like absorbs all the bullets and then he fires the bullets back at them. I got a lot of Spawn vibes basically from all of this. I also just love his cape forming a crescent moon. I just think that's a cool design. Yeah, I think it's just a cool effect. I agree. I agree with you. And I also looked up the origin. So it's not Mark that kills... The love interest in the comics is Marlene. Marlene's father is Dr. Alreun, and uh, Moon Knight's main adversary, Raul Bushman, attacks and kills the doctor and then kills Mark. Got it. So it's, it's, I think it's sort of parallel because the way that Mark is uh, like, I don't want to talk about this denying it. Maybe that is what happened, was that someone around him killed her father, Layla's father, and then he died trying to avenge him or something. I don't know. Or maybe he was there when he died, but he wasn't there when he died, so he's afraid he might have done it. If you're catching Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe he was not Mark. Maybe he was Jake. Yeah, so maybe he didn't do it, but maybe he's afraid that he did. Because even if this was before Khonshu, we know that he's been having these, you know, he, he's had DID for a long time by this point. Because it sounds like Khonshu was aware of it going into their partnership. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but also Spawn. Yes, I agree. It would be cool if they crossed over. Ooh, I'd be into that. It would definitely be a Moon Knight thing to work with somebody on the on the Spawn side of things. I agree. During the fight, Steven tells Mark to give him the body and forcibly takes over and tries to talk things out with his attackers. Mr. Knight is immediately impaled multiple times and quickly tells Mark to take the body back. Uh, now, Peach, uh, the the fighting style of that's going on here uh, has a lot of parallels with how it how it works in the comics, correct? Yeah, this is the point that I was referencing earlier. I, I really like how faithful they have been to Moon Knight's character in a lot of specific ways. One of them is, um, well, let me back up a second. Taskmaster in the comics. Taskmaster's power is that he has like, uh, what is it called? Um, mirror reflexes or something. Um, uh, photographic reflexes or, or something. Basically, he can watch anybody do something and then copy their fighting style exactly, right? Taskmaster will copy anybody's style that he has encountered, but he will not copy Mark Spector's fighting style because, and the quote is something along the lines of that Mark Spector would rather take a punch than learn how to dodge. And I think that that is shown really well in this episode. Um, When they get into the fight and all the dudes with spears start like impaling him, there is a point where he is impaled through the chest with a spear and instead of dodging it, obviously he takes the spear in the chest, but then he grabs the dude that impaled him and impales the dude on the spear that is now in his body. And I just think that that is very 
that's a very Moon Knight move. He just basically fights through that whole thing. I think they explain that well, uh, but very, very, very briefly when Kanchu earlier says that the armor has healing properties. I don't necessarily know if that's the case in the comic lore, but that is just how Mark Spector fights. He he doesn't really want to dodge. He just wants to brute force. He is the strength build from a Dark Souls game. He is just going in and he's got a big ass weapon and he's just going to hit people and not block and take the hit in return and hope that he does more damage to the boss than the boss does to him. And Mr. Knight is a charisma build from a Dark Souls game. And you'll <laughs> notice there's not charisma in those games. No, <laughs> no it's not helpful. Yeah, so I just I just thought that was a cool touch um, for him to to fight that way. We've seen him fight a little bit before, but in his other fighting scenes and the other episodes, he's not really, you know, he was being chased by a jackal in one and um, it was mostly Steven fighting the jackal until Mark took over. And that was a pretty quick fight once Mark took over. So this, I think, showcased his fighting style from the comics a lot better. At the sarcophagus, Layla takes her necklace apart and uses it to stab Beck. She grabs what she needs and runs out to join Mark, who now has several spears sticking out of him, but she is knocked out by Mogar. Mark sees this and is able to break free, and he wounds Mogar, who is carried away by his horse. As Mark and Layla leave, Conchu warns Mark that time is running out. In the car, Layla asks Mark if what Harrow said is true, but Mark denies it, saying that Harrow is just trying to get in her head and divide them. Classic gaslight. Layla says every time she learns something new about Mark, she thinks there can't possibly be anything more. Uh, But then something new pops up and it's like she's never known him at all. And Mark says she doesn't because he's an asshole. He's like, you don't. You don't know me at all. And you're like, okay, well, we get it. Mark is a dick. Whose fault is that, Marcus? (laughs) I assume that's your full name. It's not. Meanwhile, they are spotted by one of Harrow's disciples. Out in the desert, Layla and Mark struggle to put together the fabric scrapes that will lead them to Amit, but are unable to figure it out. Layla says they need Steven, but Conchu warns Mark that Steven won't return the body. Mark angrily grabs the mirror off of the car and storms away, and then willingly gives the body to Steven, who immediately patches the fabric together. Steven tells Layla that because there aren't many landmarks in the desert, they invented a way to navigate using the sun and stars, holding up what he's taped together. Um... I think it is also important to speak here about maybe the little bit of chemistry that is beginning to form between Steven and Layla. There's a little bit, there's, there's something there, right? You know, he's speaking to her in French, you know. They the actually have love. things in common. They have things in common. You know, there's, there's something there. Did you, um, I don't have anything to add to that. I agree with you. Did you get Rise of Skywalker vibes when they started holding the the star map up to the stars? How dare and by, you? And by Rise of Skywalker vibes, I mean, did you get Goonies vibes? <laughs> <laughs> holding up what he's taped together, Steven notices that pinpricks form a constellation. Layla attempts to triangulate from that, but Steven says that it won't work because Senfu marked this 2,000 years ago and the stars drift over time. Khonshu sadly says he remembers that night and every night. Conchu leads them to a ridge and tells Steven that he can turn back the night sky, but that it will come at a cost and he cannot do it alone. He then tells Steven to tell Mark to free him after the gods imprison him. 
Steven summons the Mr. Knight suit and works with Khonshu in an extremely visible display of moon god powers to turn the sky back to the way it was the night Senfu made the map. Hera observes this and says Khonshu brought this upon himself, and back in the pyramid, the five avatars begin a ritual. A small stone statue of Khonshu appears in front of them, just as Layla confirms the coordinates. Khonshu fades away, the statue is completed, and Steven loses the suit and passes out. In the pyramid, Salim, the avatar of Osiris, leads Hero into the chamber, in the chamber and tells him that he was right about Khonshu, who in the end left them no choice. Khonshu is now tethered to this place, like many before him. Hero asks if Khonshu can hear them. Salim says he thinks so. Salim leaves Hero to speak to Khonshu. Hero tells Khonshu that his own greatest sin was that he enjoyed dealing out pain on Khonshu's behalf. He adds that he's grateful because he had, had he not been so broken, he might never have known the value of healing. Hero says he's going to do what Khonshu could not, and that he wants the moon god to remember that his torment is what forged Hero, saying, I owe my victory to you. Isn't it so interesting and so like villain-oriented to be such a hypocrite with your own message? Very Thanos, right? Thanos is like, oh, we need to preserve, you know, it's so such a sad thing that there aren't enough resources for all these people and they keep dying. So what I'm going to do is kill a bunch of people to then be able to kill lots of people. Like this guy, I've done awful things. That makes me the perfect judge of everybody else's awful things. Yeah, I know what I should be punishing them for. <laughs> <You know? laughs> all those people who are bad like me need to be destroyed. <laughs> yes. But not, not me. me. <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'm good bad. They're bad bad. Yes. Call Amit, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> wee woo, wee woo. Uh, where do we think this is going? Where do you guys think this is going next? Uh, well, if we are going to get Jake, Steven just passed the hell out. So maybe he wakes up as Jake, and that's how we meet him, and then Jake and Layla interact with each other and that could be scary because jake sounds like a kind of a hard ass maybe perhaps um other than that i don't really know i don't know how i don't know how mark without the aid of conchu's powers is going to unimprison conchu from stone um like he's he's strong in the comics but he is powerless but wasn't no, but he wasn't. I'm, I was thinking, like, wasn't he imprisoned originally? But I guess in this version, Harrow had him before. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Can you just take one of those stone statues and, like, smash it on the ground? Like, opa! And then the god is free? Like, oh, could yeah, you go in there the... and just opa everyone? <laughs> Maybe. Re-release him with, uh, you know, all the other gods. That would be interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't know... We're not going to have Moon Knight or Mr. Knight for a bit, I guess, and unless they can get Khonshu back. Uh, actually, in a group chat I'm in, I spelled out exactly how the rest of the series is going to go. So here we go. Halfway to go. Episode four, we're going to get introduced to Jake. That's going to make more conflict with Layla while Harrow gets closer to his goal. Episode five is going to be an epic psychological battle of the many personalities of Moon Knight with the clock ticking. Until things get so bad that they must reach an accord and break into the pyramid to rescue Khonshu and get their powers back. Episode 6, we're going to get the resolution with two or three versions of Moon Knight working in tandem, the disparate parts coming together to make an even greater hero. Um, I don't necessarily think that's exactly what's going to go out. That feels like the cliche, uh, you know, 
path of a show like this, and I'm hoping that it will surprise me. But it's kind of fun that I don't really have a good idea. I don't feel solid about that prediction at all. Um, with the exception of, I do think we're going to meet Jack, or excuse me, Jake. Uh, Jack is also the fourth one that we haven't heard about yet. No. Um, and I and I do wonder, are they going to have to excise this part of their personality or embrace it? Are they going to have to learn how to work together? What are they going to do when we can't have a superhero? What is actually going to... Amit's probably going to get released at some point, right? Or we'll at least get close to it. So, I don't know. I feel like it could go a lot of different directions right now. And we still have a lot more to learn about all these different gods as well. So, I don't know. I, I enjoy that I don't know where this is going. So, we'll see. Well, ratings. Chris, what are you going to rate uh, episode three of Moon Knight? I gave it eight total eclipses of the heart out of ten. What about you, uh, Eduardo? I also gave it eight uh, weird pyramid of Giza hangouts out of 10 beach. That's good ad libbing. I gave it six and a half spear seppukus out of 10. Sorry, listeners. It wasn't my jam. Never apologize for not liking something. That is. A yeah, lot you know what? I am unashamed of my opinion. I gave it six and a half and you can all suck it. What's wrong with you, man? You should be ashamed of that opinion. Apologize. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Uh, Before we go, I had an idea during the podcast that I'm just going to institute as a new segment literally right now. New segment! Uh, uh, Wow! We haven't had one of those in a long time. uh, Wow. I would love to hear one thing you you guys recommend to our listeners to either do, to read, to eat, one recommendation that you have for them to get through their the rest of their week. Oh, take a, li- a lifestyle tip. Yeah, I mean, it could be a movie, a comic, it could be a book, it could be a, a food, a thing, anything. It doesn't have anything to do with Moon Knight necessarily. It's no, just no, a- it could be literally anything. I'll start because selfishly, I wanted to talk about this. I am currently in the middle of watching. They're coming out weekly, but I'm watching the most recent epi- um, season of Young Justice. And I just want to say how incredible that show is. And the show has really evolved over its four seasons and is now at a place where it is tackling a lot of really interesting topics. It is tackling depression it is there are there is a character who has a child with autism and they're trying to figure out how to how to navigate those waters there are uh, same sex couples there are couples uh same sex throuples there are it is it is a very wide spectrum uh compared to a normal tv show i i highly highly recommend people watch this show because what they are doing in it is so so good it is very 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 interesting and honestly the most recent episode had an ending that had my jaw on the floor. I was floored with what they were doing, and I would love to talk about it with anyone. Where does that stream? HBO Max. Okay, that was my guess, but okay. That's a good question. Uh, uh, who's next? I mean, I guess I can talk about Elden Ring, since that's what I... <laughs> it's okay. not Marvel, but we spent the first, like, 20 minutes of the podcast recording today not actually talking about Moon Knight and talking about my progress on Elden Ring. So if you have ever liked a FromSoft game and you've somehow hesitated on Elden Ring, just go buy it. What are you waiting for? It's really good. There's uh, there's just so much content in it, and it's it has that 
that Dark Souls from soft game feel that you know and love if if you know and love it. And it's just wildly expansive. I think I've put like 70 something hours into the game at this point, And I'm not even I don't even think I'm actually halfway through. I don't, what do you say Radon is halfway through one of the main bosses? No, not even halfway through. So many hours. Um, so that, that'd be my recommendation. If if you've never played a FromSoft game, just know that it is pretty difficult. You, you can do things that will make the game easier for you. Don't let the internet tell you how you should or shouldn't play any game, but especially a FromSoft game because there are some angry people that get on get on their high horse about how you should play or, or should not play a game play it how you want but it is very difficult all right i'm uh i'm gonna make uh two quick movie re- uh recommendations uh we, we went to the movies angela and i uh twice in this past week saw two very different movies i mentioned one of them last week everything everywhere all at once i cannot recommend that movie enough it is wild it is hilarious it is poignant uh some great action some great performances uh it'll mess with your brain and yet it's not super hard to follow either like i think they do a great job of introducing the rules of their multiverse uh and it's a excellent movie and i've been thinking about it a lot and i'm looking forward to watching it again someday the other movie we saw is a movie that i have seen many times before it was back in theaters for its 70th anniversary singing in the rain one of my top two or three movies of all time. If you have never seen it, it is just a delight. If you like musicals and comedies, it is just a wonderful, fun time. Uh, that is actually streaming on HBO Max. So if you're if everything ever all at once doesn't look your speed, or maybe it's not playing near you, or you're not quite feeling up to going out to the movie theaters right now, uh, you know, go stream Singing in the Rain. It's uh, just under two hours and it is two hours well spent. I adore that movie. Yeah. So. I like that. None of us have had anything positive, negative, or at all to say about Morbius. <laughs> it's been out for like three weeks. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. I'll, I'll check it out on streaming. Maybe Yeah, I'll watch yeah. it one day because I hate myself, but I don't know if I will enjoy it. It'll my- be, it'll be like that day a couple weeks ago where we intentionally tried to figure out what the worst cereal is but we'll watch morbius instead i've heard some people say that it is not good but not as bad as some people are saying i don't know Uh, so it's the it's the frosted shredded mini wheats of bad cereals it's not quite grape nuts but it (laughs) it's it's like well i you know i wouldn't choose this but you know i at least don't hate myself for having spent two hours with it i don't know who knows perfect analogy that's a one-to-one yeah well that's gonna do it for this episode of assembly required an mcu retrospective if you'd like to support the show you can do so over at patreon.com slash assembly required join our patron exclusive discord hear all about us if you want to hear about more of our recommendations you can go chat us uh with us on there uh chat with me please somebody about young justice because i absolutely love that show um, if you want to email the show, you can email us, uh, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's going to be at assemblycast. You can follow some of us individually at abcdeduardo one for myself and gatorsex2010 for Chris. That's going to do it for myself, for Chris, for Peaches. We love you 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Bubbly, bubbly.
Eduardo, what color are you normally in the notes? Whoa, 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 Chris. Whoa. Puerto Rican. Make it. All right. Okay. I know we're friends. I knew knew that was how this was going to go down. I knew this was how. As soon as I started saying that sentence, I'm like, well, it's too late now. Hope that in the notes is enough, and it was not. Uh, I'm usually green. Green. Okay. You know, the color of Puerto Rico. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> Famously green. Yeah. Uh, uh.